Thompson. My goodness, thank you so much. Thank our praise team and Brother Terry, fantastic job, and all of you singing this morning. I just pray that the Lord was satisfied and, and felt blessed. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We want to look at Ephesians chapter 6. Now, there are several passages this morning, but we want to kind of use as a text Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll look at um, uh, well, let's see. I've got listed as a text there, and we'll read it next. 1 John 3 verse 8. We'll, let's start with 1 John 3 8. That way I won't throw Miss Chris off. I want to share with you a sermon this morning I've entitled, Jesus Defeats Satan Through Death. Jesus Defeats Satan Through Death. And we'll look at 1 John 3, verse 8, as our text. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now look at that again. He who sins is of the devil. Now I shared Wednesday night about the children of God. Their father is God. But the devil has his children. And they're the children of Satan. There's, there's, no, and there's nothing taught in Scripture about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. We become children of God when we trust Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. He said it this way, As many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And then you have the children of the devil. In 1 John 3, verse 8, He who sins is of the devil. So they're fathers of the devil. Now, we're all creations of God, but we're not all children of God. Only those who've placed faith in Christ Jesus are children of God. And so if you're here this morning and you're a believer, you've trusted Christ, you are a child of God. Your Father is holy God. But if you rejected Christ, then your Father is the devil. Now that's something to think about. And so John says that, that uh, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then the C part of that verse says this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to come and to worship, now to open your word. Help me as I share your word. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them. Give me clarity of thought. Give me recall. Thank you for an opportunity to share another day your word. Speak to our hearts this morning. May we be doers of your word and not just simply hearers. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So today I want to continue our sermon series on spiritual war. And I want you to remember this. This is a fact that there is a spiritual war between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And the war is a battle for the souls of mankind. Therefore, the war affects the believer and also affects the non-believer. It affects the saved. It affects the lost. And Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, listen, the thief, that's the devil, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his purpose. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said... I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So the point is, regardless if you are a believer or not, you have a target on your back and the devil has taken aim at you. Now he's coming to seek and to kill those that he might destroy. The Christian... He'll never destroy us, he'll never kill us spiritually, but he will physically if we're not careful. And so he's coming to steal, to kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes that we might have life. So the devil hates God, the devil hates you, the devil hates me, and he wants to rob, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants us to be thrown into hell just to get back at God. See, all of this is about his hatred toward God. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says this, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power. Be strong in dynamo. That's the Greek word. Be strong in the Lord. So the question is this, as a believer, are you strong in the Lord? Are you strong in the Lord? Just because you've been a Christian for 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40, maybe 50 years or longer, just because you've been a Christian that long doesn't mean that you're a strong Christian. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. I hear people and I have people say to me from time to time, I'm a Christian but I'm not a strong Christian. They'll say to me, well, that person's a Christian, but they're not a strong Christian. Well, why aren't you a strong Christian? Why aren't you a strong Christian? On the other hand, new Christians are not necessarily weak Christians. I know a lot of new Christians that are stronger than seasoned Christians. So just because you're a new Christian, don't think that you cannot be strong in the Lord. I believe most new Christians are stronger in the Lord than a lot of seasoned Christians. Here's the point. Being a strong Christian has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. It has nothing to do with how long you've been saved. And so our strength is derived from God. It's not derived from ourselves. And so Ephesians 10, verse 12, he says, we're to be strong in the Lord, and then he ends that verse, and in the power of His might. In the power of His might. So the point is, we're to be strong in His mighty power. And listen, God makes the same mighty strength available to us as He had when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
that same power is available for you and available for me. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 19. Ephesians 1 verse 19. He says this, So what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power. And so the point is, God makes the same mighty power available to us as He had when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We are able to have that same spiritual power. So Paul reminds us to be strong in the Lord because when we get saved, we're hurled into a battle against a mighty foe. We're hurled, hurled into a battle with a person or, or spiritual being who is tireless, who is merciless, who is relentless, who is ruthless, who is relenting, who is unflinching, who is our adversary. So when you get saved... You are saved, but you are in a spiritual battle, and you're going to be attacked by the devil, more fearful than ever before. So we're in a spiritual war. Now, in the first week, I shared how the war began. The second week, who our enemy is. And last week, part one, Jesus defeats Satan through his life. And we, th we talked about three temptations how he defeated Satan through his life by these three temptations. The first temptation was uh, when Satan tempted him to self-serve. In other words, you see those rocks down there, those stones? Why don't you, you're hungry, you fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. Why don't you just make those into cakes of bread? In other words, you ought to do for yourself and not depend on God. That's what he was tempting Jesus to do. But Jesus, you know, he, he says this. For the Word says, man shall not live by bread alone. For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The second temptation, he wanted Jesus to tempt God. He said, cast yourself off of this pinnacle. And, and he quoted Psalms 90, and angels will drop down, and, and they'll catch you by the feet, and your feet will never even touch the ground. If you won't, if you won't save yourself... By making bread, depend on God to save you. Let God demonstrate His love. Jesus knew that God loved him. You know that God loves you. You don't have to tempt God to see if He loves you or not. And so that was a temptation. And He says, it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then the third temptation, He offers Jesus all that He has if He'd only worship Him. Just fall down and I'll give you all of these kingdoms and I'll do it now and you won't have to go to the cross and you won't have to wait years and years and hundreds of years or maybe thousand years before you reign upon the earth. I'll give you that privilege right now. I can do that for you, Jesus. And however, uh, uh, each time Jesus said, it is written. And so he relied on the word of God to do the will of God. And he, and he sent Satan away. He says, get away, Satan. Go away. And so Jesus defeats Satan with his life. And so today we want to see real quick how Jesus defeats Satan through his death. And that's 1 John 3 verse 8. Look at that again if you will. And I want you to notice that. Why he, how he manifested himself. 1 John 3 verse 8. He says that he came to manifest himself in a special way. He said in 1 John 3, 
Verse 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil is sinned from the beginning. For the purpose of the, Son was ma- uh, f- uh, purpose of the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Let's think about that for a moment. For the purpose the Son of God was manifested. What purpose was Jesus manifested? To destroy the works of the devil. Now, once again, you have a contrast between good and evil and righteousness and unrighteousness. And remember, remember, sin didn't begin on earth. Sin began in heaven. Uh, Remember, uh, it had its source not with Adam and Eve, but with Lucifer, this anointed cherub, this uh, son of the morning, this perfect uh, um, angel that God created, as we know as Satan today. And I like what John Phillips said. And thinking about sin didn't begin on earth, but it began in heaven. John Phillips in his commentary said this. He said, sin was imported to our planet. It was introduced to our world years ago an alien. An invader was cast down to earth full of hate, full of envy. And he was able to craft sin into the human, to graft sin into the human soul. Sin didn't begin on earth. Sin began in heaven. That's why Lucifer was cast out of heaven to earth because he rebelled against God. He that committed sin, the Bible says, is of the devil. However, Jesus came to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy there means to loose. It means to dissolve. It means to demolish. And so the word is used kindly in breaking up a vessel when it's shipwrecked. Um, in Acts chapter 27, verse 1, you, you have that word used when Paul was shipwrecked. It was broken to pieces. So the point is, Lucifer came here and wrecked havoc, but God is going to smash all of his works into pieces. He's going to destroy what he's done here on earth and what he's doing here on earth. And he's chosen Jesus Christ to be the one to do it. And that's what Jesus meant, that's how he manifested himself, is to destroy the works of the devil. Now listen, now Christ um, didn't come just to kind of slow the devil down. But he came to destroy the devil. Uh, Satan was going to do everything in his power to prevent Jesus from destroying his power and his kingdom here on earth. And so Satan had this plan. What was his plan? Well, his plan was to his followers, we're going to kill Jesus. We'll kill him. We'll kill Jesus. And uh, we, won't, uh, we won't have a problem with Jesus anymore. So this, this uh, I was thinking about that and and I'd already considered my first point, and I'll go ahead and give it to you. It's already on the screen. Satan's plan to kill Jesus involved many people. So he's going to kill Jesus. Um, I was watching TV this past week, and uh, it was revealed where a person by the name of Tim Snedker, S-N-E-D-K-E-R, a professor of philosophy of religion at UC Santa Barbara made a statement that he, and here's his statement, he wished he could get in a time machine and go back 2,000 years. And I quote, 
I would find, I would find and assassinate Jesus Christ. He wanted to kill Jesus. I mean, this is in our day of time. But I've got news to Professor Nedker. Your father, the devil, had that original thought thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. So Satan's plan was to get rid of Jesus, and the way we'll do it, we'll kill him. And this plan involved a lot of people. First, he wanted to tempt Christ to worship him, and then where he would avoid death and skip the cross, and, but that plan failed. And so now his second plan, he said, I'm going to kill him. And so he plans to kill Jesus, and it involved many people. And so this plan involved forces which chose not to believe in Jesus. This plan involved Judas, Iscariot, one of the chosen disciples. Look, if you will, at or jot down Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and we'll look at verse 3 and 4. Luke 22, verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas. That's interesting. Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Verse 4. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priest, the captains, how he might betray him to them. Now, I ask myself, why do you think Satan decided to enter Jesus? I mean, why didn't Satan just say to Judas, Judas, you know, we, we need you to bring Jesus to us. But he entered Jesus. Some scholars believe that the plan was so horrible that Satan had to empower him to make sure that the, that the plan would actually take place, to make sure that Judas would do what Satan wanted him to do. He entered Judas. The point is, Satan used Judas. And then Satan used religious leaders. He used the chief priest. He used the captain of the temple guards. He used the Pharisees. He used the Sadducees. He used the scribes. He used these other people. Look, if you will, at uh, Luke 22. Uh, back Luke 22, verse 52. Luke 22, verse 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, captains of the temple, the elders who come to him. Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your opportunity. This is your chance. This is what you've been waiting for. You see, in the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, we kind of get a glimpse in how horrible Satan and his followers really were. You had the lies, you had the beatings, you had the mockings, you had uh, the, the horrible death by crucifixion. Um, and it all demonstrates Satan's total rebellion against God. Can you imagine how much Satan hated and hates God? And the power of that hatred was so great against God that nothing less than the death of Christ would satisfy Satan. He had to kill him. And so Jesus defeats Satan through his death. Satan's plan was to kill Jesus. It involved many people, Judas and religious leaders. And then Satan's all-out push for victory was turned into total defeat. Look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 7 and 8. 
He says this, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of glory. God has a hidden mystery of wisdom, never been revealed. Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now here's a mystery. This is a mystery of wisdom. And God's kept it from everyone. But if they had known it, they would have not have crucified Jesus. Now what's the mystery? What is that secret wisdom? What was the wisdom? What did God know that Satan and his forces did not know? And if they knew, they would never attempted to crucify. You see, God's secret wisdom was the gospel. That's what his wisdom was. Satan and his followers did not know that the death of Christ and his resurrection would be God's way of forgiving man of man's sins and reassuring man that Satan's control over mankind would be gone forever. That was a mystery. That was the gospel. You see, when they killed Jesus, when they put him to death, and we'll get a little more into this in a moment, all of a sudden, when Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished, they were finished. The moment he says, it is finished, everything necessary for man to be restored in a true fellowship with me, a spiritual fellowship, spiritual relationship with me, has been completed. If they had known that would have taken place, they would have never killed Jesus. Never would have. Satan's goal was to destroy the ministry of Jesus Christ by putting him to death, but he was shot on Resurrection Sunday. The point in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8, none of the rulers would have crucified the Lord of glory if they'd known about the gospel. Satan's plan to kill Jesus involved many people. Satan's plan all-out push for victory was turned into his total defeat. He was ended primarily on that day. Not done away with, but his power was destroyed. His attack on Christ helped bring about his own defeat. If they knew that, that secret wisdom of the gospel, they never would have killed him. Then third and finally, real quick, Satan and his army were humiliated at the cross, and mankind was freed from death. Colossians 2, verse 15. Look at that real quick with me. Colossians 2, verse... Um, uh, let's look at verse 14 and uh, 15. Or look at verse 15, I believe. Colossians 2, 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You see, at the cross, everything looked like it was going good for Satan. Everybody's mocking Christ, humiliating him, spewing out all this, this, this uh, profanity, just waiting for Jesus to die. But with one great motion, when Christ said, it's finished, then it was finished. Christ made them a public spectacle 
much like, a, like the Romans did their enemies. You know, we're, we're told that when the Roman generals went out to fight a battle and they would, they would find their, their survivors, their choice survivors, the healthy-looking ones perhaps, they would march them back into the city and wherever city they were going, they were over, and the general would uh, have them chained to his chariot, and he would march them or he would pull them back into the city. And that was a trophy. That was a triumphant time, and the people would cheer and clap because they knew that the general had been victorious over his enemies, and he had proof of it. <laughs> and this is what this is leaning to here. Just as Rome made... Their enemies a spectacle. God has made his enemies, Satan and his followers, a spectacle, a laughingstock because of what they did to Jesus. Satan had deceived the world into believing that his forces were undefeatable. Mankind had come under his power due to sin. But when Christ died on the cross, he broke Satan's power. He took Satan and his forces captive. His victory was complete, triumphing over them by the cross, by the cross. Today, my friend, listen, you don't have to be imprisoned by Satan. You don't have to be imprisoned by the power of Satan. If you'll just turn to the one conqueror who is full of power and full of truth, you can escape that power that Satan has over you today. <clears throat> At the cross... Jesus humiliated Satan and his followers. And at the cross, Jesus destroyed the fear of death which Satan had used to, to uh, enslave mankind. Are you afraid to die? You know, Satan, Satan used the fear of death on the followers, uh, on, on people in general, those that were in sin. And until the crucifixion, Satan had this power over mankind. Man could find no way out. And all of a sudden, Satan would just stir up their man's terror by using death to, to uh, wreak havoc over man's mind. Hebrews chapter 2. I want to read verse 14 and 15. Hebrews 2. Look at Hebrews 2. And, and, and as we think about as we think about Satan and as we think about what he's doing and, and his position over, uh, you have that on screen. Did I give you that scripture? Hebrews 2. Yeah, there it is. In so much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. See, as a believer, you don't have to worry about death. When the Bible speaks about destroying Satan, that doesn't mean that he, that he kills Satan or Satan ceases to exist. It means it's that Christ has made Satan's power ineffective against those who trust Jesus Christ. That's what that means. But not only that, but death of Christ, the death of Christ freed or released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, people are just in bondage to death. Thinking about death, fearing death. And that's Satan's tool over a person's life. You don't have to fear death if, if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
But when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty of death for all of mankind. And every person who believes the gospel is guaranteed eternal life and no longer needs to fear this physical death. I was talking to Potty last night, or Alfred, I'm sorry. Talking to Alfred last night. And I, I said, um, he said, they say I'm terminal, Brother Sammy. Or he said, they haven't said I'm terminal. I said, well, God says it. <laughs> he says, all of us are terminal. We are. But I don't think about that. Why is that? Because I've had that fear of death taken away because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because eternal life is given to those who believe and trust in Jesus. Those who reject Jesus will die a physical death. You know, unless the Lord comes back, I'll die a physical death. But immediately I'm trans transferred into the presence of God and to live forever and forever and ever with Him. The point is Jesus pulled the weapon of death out of Satan's hands. He broke the power to create fear in the hearts of Christians. And so the conclusion... While hanging on the cross, Jesus said it's finished. He had accomplished what he set out to do. He came to destroy the works of the devil and to set mankind free. And he did it all at the cross. He shattered Satan's power to enslave mankind by the fear of death. And he turned Satan into a powerless enemy for those who trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. He defeated Satan in his life, and he has defeated Satan in his death there at the cross. And if they had known the secret wisdom of God, they would never, Satan never would have given mankind an opportunity to have his sins forgiven. He would not have killed Christ. That's what the Word says. But he didn't know that. In a moment, Jesus said, it's finished. He was finished. And so we can rejoice in that. That's our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence, open your word, and can see how you defeated Satan through your life, but also through your death. I pray for every person here. And Lord, those who have never trusted Christ, I pray today they'll come and receive you as Lord and Savior of their life. Trust the gospel. Believe in the gospel that Christ came and he died on the cross for their sins and he was buried. He arose again on the third day and one day he's coming back. And for those who trust him and only him for their salvation will never experience this eternal death, but eternal life. We have no fear of physical death. We can only imagine the eternal life. And so, Father, we pray for every person. Today, they'll humble their heart. They'll ask you to come into their life and save them. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.